Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and I am very excited because we have a special guest today for our first NFL team breakdown. We're starting with the Arizona Cardinals. And check this out. We have none other than head coach Cliff Kingsbury to join us. Cliff, how are you today? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, I'm down here in Arizona. I'm chilling in my mansion. You know, it's all minimalist, <laughs> super modern style, and life is great. I just got Isaiah Simmons in the draft. The guy's a complete athletic freak. And then I already have my long-lost son, Kyler. He's chilling out by the pool. Love <laughs> Kyler. He's my favorite guy. I got the Drake. The, the, the Drake is awesome. I love him. He's great for my offense. And then to make things even better for my life, as if it can't get any better, I get a call. I look at my phone. It says butt chin from Houston. <laughs> The butt chin guy calls me from Houston and says, hey, I got DeAndre Hopkins. I don't really like this guy. He's the best receiver in the league, but uh, would you want? You got anything you trade for him? I said, yeah, I, I got my uh, stepson over here, David Johnson. He doesn't fit in my system. I don't, re I don't really like him. He's a pro bowler, though. Do you like him? Butt chin went with the trade. I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. So I'm over here. Got D-Hop, DeAndre Hopkins. I got my guy, Kyler. Life can't get any better here in, in the mansion in Arizona, you know. Now, it doesn't matter if I only won five games, man. I'm Cliff Kingsbury. I'm an offensive genius. So I'm excited <laughs> for the season. I was going to say, Cliff, wow, you were really feeling good for only winning five games last year. But yep. um, that, that is a nice trade to pick up Hopkins, so I can see why you're excited there. And yep. let's, let's add the fact that you're quite modest here because – I, I know you've got a mansion back there behind that backdrop, the, the DFS Coach Talk logo, but um, you decided to put up the logos instead of showing off the mansion today. Yeah, there was too many people after the NFL draft that were, uh, you know, they had a little bit of jealousy there. They saw my crib. They, you know, they couldn't handle it. So I decided I had to put up the logo for you guys today just because I don't want anyone to get too much envy, you know. Uh, I'm sitting here on my couch in my mansion. Everything is clean. You know, I got David Johnson out of here, so I'm good, <laughs> you know. So I'm, I'm happy, man. I, I, I can't be more excited for this uh, year, and uh, we're going to show them what the spread offense is all about. Well, it is a sweet crib. Uh, nice of you to show it to us during the NFL draft. And, uh, yeah, I can see why you're excited for getting rid of David Johnson. You, you feel like he's lost a little bit in the legs and you pull in uh, one of the best receivers in football. So a lot to be excited about down there, Cliff. Um, go Cardinals. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so uh, for those of us, um, for those of you who are new to the program, uh, we are kicking off our NFL coverage here on DFS Coach Talk, one team per day. Yesterday, Cliff Kingsbury, a.k.a. Shane Caldwell, and I uh, gave a about an hour-long general NFL DFS strategy show. So if you missed that one, uh, go back and check that out anytime. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found, Apple, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, you name it. And we're, we've got these videos now that we're putting up on YouTube. So if you want to uh, watch the show and, you know, maybe occasionally in the future, uh, Cliff Kingsbury will show off that mansion again for you. Um, but we are, we are doing our, our podcast on YouTube now. And as I mentioned, we're breaking down one NFL team per day. Uh, moving forward, we're going to start with the Cardinals today. And do check us out. Our website is DFSCoachTalk.com. Uh, we just launched in early 2020, so kind of a, a tough period here 
as we're getting up and uh, up and rolling, we got the, sh- the shutdown in sports. But uh, come join us as a member. We have weekly, monthly and annual memberships and those memberships are frozen right now. So they won't kick in until we get sports up and running again. Uh, Shane, let's uh, let's start to talk a little bit more about this Cardinals team. Uh, you, you referred to the big trade there. Uh, but before we start breaking this team down by position, let's talk a little bit about the offense in general. Yeah, I mean, this is a the Cardinals offense is, was already exciting with uh, Kyler Murray coming in with the spread system. Um, just at the pace that they play at, um, this offense was ranked fourth in pace of play uh, in 2019, uh, 25.71 seconds per play. So they have a fast pace spread offense. They run a lot of four wide receiver sets and they spread you out. And surprisingly, um, they weren't ranked that high really for, for yards. They were ranked pretty low. Uh, they were 21st in total yards, 5,467 yards. Um, only 341 yards per game. So they have a lot of room to grow there this year with the new additions of of better talent. And I'll talk about an improved offensive line when we get to that point. Um, They were 16th ranked in points per game at 22.6. So despite having this innovative offense, they weren't able to really be efficient uh, in the first year. But with added talent and improved offensive line, uh, and better, better personnel that fits the scheme better. I I see uh, big things ahead for this for this Arizona Cardinals offense. Yeah, and I want to add a couple stats for the team in general. You know, their offense scored 38 touchdowns last year, and one of the things that jumped out at me as we prepared for the podcast today is, you know, they spread the ball around and they didn't get guys with monster seasons in the receiving core. They're leading. Uh, their leading touchdown receiver was four. David Johnson had four receptions for touchdown. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald had four. Christian Kirk had three. And you already talk about how you you kicked David Johnson to the curb in that trade. So he's gone. So one of their one of their guys who led the team in touchdown receptions with four is gone. And obviously we're going to add DeAndre Hopkins to the mix here. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But this team in general for, you know, the fast-paced team, exciting with Murray, they really weren't a huge um, benefit in terms of, you know, stacking the offense on offense. You know, in the strategy show yesterday, we talked about really targeting teams in the GPP where we could stack a quarterback with a couple of pass-catching targets. But there were only two games throughout the regular season last year where it made any sense to stack. And that was week two against Baltimore where Fitzgerald and Kirk both had over 18 fantasy points and Murray had 19 fantasy points. And then week 10 against Tampa, Murray had 30 fantasy points, Fitz, uh, Fitzgerald had 15 and Kirk had 40. So other than that, it was just an offense that really had more success on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. They were surprisingly the 10th ranked rushing offense in the league at 124.4 yards per game. Kyler Murray did have 544 rushing yards. So that, that attributes to that. But in terms of just 
you know, offense, once they got Kenyon Drake on board, the offense was good, which was really ironic because their offensive line was one of the worst rated pass blocking <laughs> offensive lines in the league. So that tells you that there is hope for the spread offense in terms of being able to spread people out and have a good running game. Uh, if you improve the offensive line now, which they have, which we'll talk about, I think there's a lot of upside in this running game. Um, and then adding extra weapons, uh, the teams will have to respect, like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, you know, it's it's only up from here. Uh, one of the things that hurt the efficiency, because really you're talking about offensive efficiency, because we knew we know they ran a lot of uh, high pace and everything. Uh, the what hurt the offense efficiency, which therefore hurt the DFS stats, was they took a league high 48 sacks. So when you're trying to get this dynamic spread passing offense going and you take 48 sacks, that really put them at a lot of loss of yards and it put them at a large desperate situations uh, where teams can just tee off and keep uh, you know running the pass rush at them. So that really put them because when you accounted for their loss of sacks, they only uh, the offensive passing game was ranked 24th overall at 217 yards per game. So they're way behind the chains all the time. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't really throw for a really good yards per uh, yards per attempt. Uh, he was really more a lot of those short passes. Uh, so yeah, six six point nine yards per attempt for the season. Exactly. So so he wasn't uh, he wasn't throwing a lot of deep balls. They didn't really have a deep receiver threat. Um, so that that played into it. And Kyler Murray was taking a lot of sacks that he probably shouldn't have. He was holding the ball too long um, and just unnecessary and not using his mobility uh, correctly to get, to get open and just holding on to the ball too long. It wasn't all the offensive line. Again, ironically, the offensive line in the pass protection was one of the higher rated offensive lines in terms of pass protection. But they gave up the most sacks. You can see where it's kind of a weird dynamic. But again, we're talking about a spread offense. So yeah, things are going to change this year, though. And I think those stats are all going to improve. And uh, it's it's going to be good for fantasy. Where, like you said, last year, not a really good team uh, to, to stack for fantasy, uh, even though you you would think they would have been. And Kyler Murray was really more of a cash cash game quarterback because he got rushing yards and he got a lot of volume, but he, he never really hit it for, uh, for GPPs. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have very many big games. Uh, so yeah, that's my on, opinion. On DraftKings, he only had five games over 25 fantasy points. And yeah. you, you mentioned the rushing production. I thought that was his best attribute. He rushed 93 times for 544 yards. That's 5.8 yeah. yards per carry. And he scored four times on the ground. And if you break that down on DraftKings, that's 4.9 DraftKings fantasy points per game just from his rushing. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned him being more of a of a cash game target. We certainly target guys at the quarterback position who we can count on for a significant amount of points every week on the ground, whether that's Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, who you mentioned yesterday. Yeah. You know, Kyler Murray. Um you know, that's that's reassuring uh, for a guy that is that consistent getting yards on the ground. But just through the air again, you know, he only had 20 touchdowns. I mean, that's that's only just over one per game. That's just not going to cut it. Yeah, he was constantly under pressure and throwing underneath passes. So he wasn't able to hit those deep passes. So uh, 
So that that hurt his big playability in the passing game. Uh, and, and it's yeah, his rushing is good. He actually didn't start really running the ball much till later in the season. Because um, I think he was a little bit nervous about, you know, getting injured. But if he starts trying to run the ball a little bit more um, the whole season, uh, yeah, he, he can really get a lot of rushing yards. And that's going to really help his uh, DFS stats there. Um, so it makes it much safer for a cash game play. And then for GPPs, he's probably going to be a matchup based game script type quarterback who you may take a few shots on. But his track record so far hasn't been good for GPPs. But with all the things going on in this offense, it can certainly uh, improve this year. And that, that's the good thing about it. Yeah. And I just want to circle back one more time to that stats, uh, the sacks number. I mean, 48 sacks, that's three per game. If you think about it, that's almost that's like one per quarter. So every yeah. quarter they're going backwards and it just crushes the offensive mojo. Uh, so they've, yeah. they've, they've really got to shore that up. He's got to get the ball out, get rid of it quicker, avoid the sacks. Um, and really get a little bit better at the decision-making of, of when to throw the ball away and when to tuck it under and run. Yeah, and I think once once uh, Kenyon Drake, you know, came to that offense, uh, that changed everything, um, and they, they were much more efficient then, and, you know, he didn't have to take as much sacks, and the, the rushing game was legit. So I think the key is having a legitimate running game, which I think they're going to have, uh, and mixing that in with all these dynamic playmakers in, in that spread offense there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be much better this year. So let's 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 turn the page and start to break down that that backfield a little bit. You mentioned Kenyon Drake and how that really changed a lot for the offense after his arrival. He finished off the season and played the last eight games in Arizona. Uh, talk to me about uh, Drake from a fantasy uh, a DFS perspective. Yeah, I'm really high on Drake for, for DFS this year. Um, in eight games with Arizona last year, he rushed 123 times, 643 yards, and 5.2 yards per attempt, which is great. Okay, then on top of that, eight touchdowns. So he's getting averaging a touchdown per game in the offense. Okay, now that was with an offensive line that had some injuries. They lost the starting tackle at the beginning of the year. They were shuffling in a lot of rotational backup players in there. So the offensive line wasn't as good, and they've actually shored that up. Um, he also added an additional 28 receptions, uh, which is huge in PPR leagues. Now, he didn't have a lot of yards. It was 171 yards, but adding 28 receptions on top of the phenomenal rushing statistics that he had makes him a huge target in in dfs he wasn't really priced that high so you want to talk about a guy that you can hit huge value on you know hitting up to you know probably up to 10 times value on sometimes but he's consistently uh, uh great for gpps and really pr pretty safe floor for cash too at least within this offense so i'm very excited about it yeah there's a lot to like about what he did down the stretch uh, you mentioned a lot of these numbers. And for me, the, the, the number to remember is that eights were wild for him. You mentioned the eight games, eight touchdowns. He averaged 80 yards a game on the ground. Yeah. And then through the air, those those stats that you mentioned ended up averaging on DraftKings about six points per week from his reception. So that nice. was that was significant. And he had three ceiling games out of those eight where he went over 30 DraftKings points. Yeah. Put up, he put up 31 against San Francisco, and his price tag that week was only 5.5K. Then he yeah. put up 42.6 against Cleveland with four touchdowns, 
He only cost 5K that week. And then finally, he had 36.4 against Seattle. He only cost 6.3K that week. So it wasn't until the very last week of the regular season where he was finally priced over 7K on DraftKings. Shane, what are the chances we're going to get him at that price this year? You know, he'll, yeah, he'll, his price is going to go up, obviously, yeah. but he's still not in that elite tier. He's really in that second tier of pricing. Um, so, you know, if you want to be able to get a more expensive quarterback or, you know, load up on other wide receivers, uh, he's going to be a great play at that mid-range price there. And he's going to have he has the same ceiling as those elite guys uh, and, and really probably a ton of volume and a ton of production. So, yeah, so he's. He's really going to be one of the top targets. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what his price is. Even if his price is a little more expensive, though, I'm upgrading him for DFS and fantasy in general. Because um, when I looked at the offensive line for uh, for the Cardinals, uh, they had signed uh, – uh, actually traded with the Steelers for Marcus Gilbert as a starting right tackle. He's a big guy who can r- run – you know, r- rush – run block really well. And he was – blocking for Le'Veon Bell back in the day when Le'Veon Bell was the best back in the league. Uh, so they traded him, and problem with Marcus Gilbert, he has injury issues. So he got injured early in the year, went on IR. Then they were shuffling just a bunch of backups at right tackle. Their offensive line was weak. Um, but they they brought back they brought Marcus Gilbert back. He's their starting right tackle. They have D.J. Humphreys, uh, J.R. Sweezy, is guard. They have some good players on the offensive line now. And then they also drafted a uh, uh, a offensive lineman, Josh Jones, out of Houston, who's a raw athletic athletic talent with good coaching, will improve his technique, and he's going to be a backup right tackle or p- potentially push for the right stack right tackle starting position. So my point is that makes me upgrade uh, Kenyon Drake even more with them having more threats with DeAndre Hopkins, more uh, more threats in the offense to spread things out, open it up even more. Defenses aren't going to be able to key in and just stack the box against that offense. So with an improved offensive line and Drake in this offense, it's, I mean, it's going to be huge ceiling games for him and it's, it's, it's going to be a good situation. And if they're not taking as many sacks, they're going to be in better position to score more touchdowns as well. Uh, and overall control the game better with the running game. So, so I actually like the running game, even though first thing you think about with this offense is the passing game, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, right? I'm looking at the running game a little bit because of the things that I just point out. So uh, what do you think about that? I think it's a great point. I mean, Kenyon Drake's, his, his mouth's got to be watering with Hopkins yeah. added to the mix. And you mentioned it. They're not Teams can't stack the box to try to stop Kenyon Drake when we've got all those wideouts and, and, and Murray to think about. And we'll get into those wideouts in a, in a minute. But let's finish out with the running back core because, you know, if Drake ever goes down, we've got Chase Edmonds, who's you know, likely to be next on the depth chart. And he performed well when he was given the opportunity last year. He had three games in the middle of the season when his fantasy output was 17, 14, and then 38. That game right. against the Giants when he scored three touchdowns. For the season, he was 60 carries for 303. So he was also over five yards per carry. Uh, he didn't do as much through the air. He only caught 12 balls for 105. But, you know, he was battling for you know, snaps with David Johnson. Um, But, you know, there's a guy who, again, shows the strength of this rushing attack that folks might not be paying as much attention to. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a great sleeper target. Uh, If you if you get some injuries, uh, especially with Drake, 
that he's going to be one of those minimum price guys that I could see uh, being a good value. Uh, so yeah, Chase Edmonds is definitely he's a he's a he's a solid bat. Um, but the the fact that once Drake got on there though, they he really took a back seat after that. So yes, he did. Uh, so that, tell, that tells you right there. It wasn't like it was a timeshare. Um, and then the other guy I want to mention uh, in the draft. Uh, you know, as Kingsbury was sitting in his mansion, he's sitting there in the seventh round, still comfortable, and he gets a running back that he actually really likes. So in the seventh round, they drafted Eno Benjamin out of running back out of Arizona State. Uh, yeah, now, Cliff Kingsbury knew Eno Benjamin because he recruited him at Texas Tech. Uh, he ended up going to Arizona State. So he already knew him. So with not being able to evaluate him due to the shutdown, he already had his research done on, on this running back. He had a great career at Arizona State, but he didn't play as good last year. So he fell all the way to the seventh round. Some people had him projected as early as like second to third round at one point. Um, but, you know, Benjamin is actually a really good talent. He's a three down style back. He catches the ball really well. You know, he's actually pretty fast. He's a little bit undersized, but he catches the ball well. And he's a player to watch. If there, if we get one injury in the running back room, especially Kenyon Drake, you know, Benjamin could shoot up that depth chart and be the type of guy that can win you a tournament because he's going to be he's going to be cheap. No one's going to know about him. And he's a guy that Kingsbury obviously likes. And he's a perfect fit in the spread offense. That's where he excels. Um, so he's a running back that we're going to keep a close eye on and keep in mind. Yeah, I think that is very important to keep him in mind. I, I I pulled his stats for the last two years, and overall he ran for 2,700 yards and 26 touchdowns, and then yeah. he caught he caught 77 passes for another 610 yards and four scores. So you're right when you talk about him being a three-down back and a guy who could really uh, be valuable if he does get a start due to injury. Uh, you know, because he he he's got that ability to catch passes. I, I was watching his tape. I I like his you know shiftiness. He's a bit on the smaller side. He's not as tall as Drake, but he's got the you know that shiftiness in the open field, uh, which is a nice combination with with the hands to be able to catch that many passes out of the backfield. Yeah, and that's interesting because you mentioned that Chase Edmonds wasn't that good at pass re- receiving. So that makes this guy even more valuable if Drake goes down. And Drake does have a pretty long injury history as well. Uh, so this is a guy that, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that could be uh, a huge, you know, if something happens with the injury situation here. Um, so we'll see how he develops in training camp. But he's, he's perfect. He loves this system. Kingsbury loves him in the system. He's a perfect fit for this offense. So and as we saw last year, David Johnson versus Kenyon Drake, if it's the correct fit and they're talented, this offense is great for running backs. A lot Absolutely. of room to run. So. Absolutely. Well, as you as we've been you know referencing here, these backs might have even more room to run because of the big addition uh, out on the outside, DeAndre Hopkins. So, uh, <clears throat> Shane, why don't you uh, start to break down this wide receiver group a little bit with the big addition? Yeah, that huge addition. A lot of people are excited for uh, DeAndre Hopkins. That's really going to open things up um, because – they were running a lot of four wide receiver sets, but they didn't really have a lot of talent. Uh, let's face it, Larry Fitzgerald is a little bit older now, not as good as he used to be. Christian Kirk was inconsistent and also injured. And then there was a long list of about five or six other guys, right, that were that were rotating in and out that weren't very good. So DeAndre Hopkins, a true elite, you know, uh, elite route runner, 
obviously red zone guy. He does it everything. So he's going to, he's going to thrive in this offense. I think uh, it's going to be a good situation for him. Now, last year it was actually a down year for uh, Deandre Hopkins. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, Deshaun Watson, great quarterback, but he still had a down year last year. So I don't know exactly what it was. If it was something with old uh, butt chin out there, or what? <laughs> I call him butt chin, obviously. <laughs> so the last time Deandre Hopkins had a year this bad, was 2016 when he was with the quarterback was Brock Osweiler. Okay. So Hopkins last year, 104 catches, 1165 yards and seven touchdowns. Still a good year, but not for DeAndre Hopkins, not for a guy that's going to be priced, probably the top priced receiver or among the top three priced receivers. Right. So that's something we have to keep in mind. Uh, so not that necessarily he wouldn't be a good play, but it's something that I'm probably going to exercise caution with uh, early in the year. Uh, with uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, and he might be a player that I look at fading early in the year, being that I think he's going to be chalk um, because a lot of people are going to be so excited about him in the offense, and there's really no guarantee that he's going to come out of the gates with uh, elite style, uh, you know, elite games uh, in this offense. Um, but he, he will once he gets in, in rhythm with this offense. I think he'll have some big games, but I don't know that he's necessarily a guarantee guy that you just throw in uh you know like you do with like a michael thomas so that's that's my opinion on hopkins and what do you think yeah i agree i as excited as everybody is to have him on the team uh i'm gonna wait and see i'm gonna fade him early especially if he's anywhere near his his normal price tag of of around 8k as you mentioned he's, he's usually right in that top three or so of of pricing in terms of wide receivers um, and I'm just not going to pay that. First of all, he's got to build some chemistry with Kyler Murray. Um, you know, w- as you mentioned, they like to run four wide receiver sets. So there's a lot of guys out there uh, who are targets that Murray's going to try to hit. Uh, it's not going to be as focused as it was in Houston, where they were just funneling him the ball uh, left and right. Um, you know, all those weeks when they didn't have Will Fuller out there, it was like, bunch of guys that they didn't really want to throw the ball to yeah. they just weren't even close to as reliable as Hopkins. Um, so uh, I think that'll be something that um, could be an issue all season long is, you know, how many targets is he going to get? I just don't think he's going to get as many targets per week as he got in Houston. You know, you, you mentioned some of the other guys here and he's going to lift the entire group uh, because it's going to, you know, take one guy off the field who just didn't belong there. Guys like Farrell Cooper and Bird, who've left and gone to other teams this year, uh, New England and Carolina. So the the group is certainly going to be better as a whole. And uh, I want to talk about the next two guys together, Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. And you you can mix in your thoughts as well. But you you mentioned Fitzgerald getting up there in age. He's 36 years old, you know, Hall of Famer, um, you know, talk about, talent in terms of catching anything that's thrown to him yeah just phenomenal but he and Kirk they were really both more of almost cash game like players they just didn't have the ceiling games last year Fitzgerald had two two games of over 100 yards Kirk had two games of over 100 yards and there was only one game where they both went off and that was against Baltimore as we talked about earlier in week two and then after that you know, they just didn't have ceiling games. They didn't have ceiling games together. So you couldn't ever stack Murray with both of them. They had, they both had nine double-digit scoring games in in DraftKings, but um, Fitzgerald only had one game over 20, 
and Kirk only had two games over 20. And now with Hopkins in the mix, I think it's going to be even harder for them to have ceiling games. So, you know, what are your thoughts on these guys, Shane? Are any of them going to be tournament targets? Yeah. So I'm in general, I'm obviously down on Fitzgerald, but I'm actually pretty high on Christian Kirk. Okay. okay, so Fitzgerald, he pretty much peaked uh, against my Detroit Lions in week one. That's right. It was this crazy shootout game. They came back and tied it, and he caught a couple of fluke passes, like deep passes, which was like some of the only like deep passes that Kyler Murray completed all year. It was complete fluke plays, though, right? So he had a big game that week, and then after that, he didn't do hardly anything the rest of the year. So I can see that, that he's going to be just a guy that gets, you know, like, you know, eight to 12 fantasy points per game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and not going to be able to pay off. Not that he's that expensive, but he's not minimal price either. So yeah. I don't see him as a, as a target. Now, Christian Kirk, on the other hand, with the, with the upside of him, he only played 13 games and he basically put up the same amount of fantasy points as Larry Fitzgerald did in 16 games. Okay. Christian Kirk with more people paying attention to Deandre Hopkins, He's going to be open. I think he's got a lot more upside, younger guy. He's great in the slot, great slot wide receiver. It's going to be a ton of room for him in this offense. So I project him to actually have a good year. He had that one huge game against Tampa Bay, which was awesome. That won people a lot of money because he came out of nowhere where he had six catches, 138 yards, and three touchdowns for like 40, you know, drafting points or 34.8 FanDuel points. So I think he's going to have a few more of those games, and I think he's going to have more games around 20 fantasy points or more, which is going to hit value. So he's a slot receiver, fast-paced offense, high-volume offense. Um, I think he's going to be uh, really good this year. Um, so I'm high on Christian Kirk um, and obviously down on Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald is kind of like the old head. You know, he's almost like the receiver coach. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so he'll help everyone, but I, I don't see him as a target because you, you got to have pretty high upside and uh, obviously in uh, daily fantasy world, you know. Yeah, you're right. Um, Kirk was a little bit more efficient. He averaged 13 fantasy points per game to Fitzgerald's 11 uh, because he missed those three games. And if, you know, he, he certainly won a lot of people money that week because he was only priced at 5.2, oh, yeah. um, you know, because he hadn't had any monster games earlier in the week. By the way, that that week one opener, that was the Hawkinson game, right, for you as a, a yeah. big Lions guy. Oh, yeah. He went nuts and then he didn't do anything else. Yeah. So he was uh, <laughs> just like Fitzgerald. Like- yeah, exactly. Yep, he just went. He went nuts. Yeah, exactly. No, Arizona. You know that well, we can talk about that with their defense. That they, they were synonymous last year for attacking. Uh, their defense couldn't cover tight ends, so it was like you know if you want to find a good DFS tight end play, just figure out who's playing Arizona last year. That's you right. know, so <laughs> it was pretty. Yeah, funny. That was huge all season long, no doubt. Yeah. Now, exactly. in terms of the rest of the receiving core, um, who's going to stand out for you next? Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of like, actually, this is kind of that under the radar guy is Hakeem Butler. So Hakeem Butler is a, is a, uh, size speed specimen. He, he played at Iowa state. He was drafted in the same draft as Kyler Murray, 2019 draft in the fourth round. I was pretty excited about that when he drafted him because he was drawing comparisons to like a poor man's Calvin Johnson, who obviously I know a lot about. Yep. He, he's 6'5", 225 pounds, ran a 4.48, uh, 40 at the combine, 36 inch vertical. He's a, phys- he's, he's a physical freak. And, 
he had uh, his last year at Iowa State. I mean, he's 60 catches, over 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns. I mean, the guy's a freak, right? So then in preseason, he gets his finger caught in a guy's jersey on a real physical block and, you know, almost rips his finger off. It's like he broke his finger out for the year. So everyone forgot about Hakeem Butler, but he's one of those guys, if he's going to start and get a decent snap share percentage in the four wide receiver sets, he's a red zone target. He's a big play threat where you can just throw it up to him and he'll go get it. So he's the type of guy, probably near minimum price. A lot of people aren't going to be on him. He's the, that's the type of guy that can win you a DFS tournament, allows you to load up in other positions. So we will be keeping a close eye on uh, Hakeem Butler with that type of upside. Yeah, and if we, if we get a, any sort of traditional preseason this year, maybe he's a guy we can play in the first couple weeks. Uh, yeah. Again, under the radar, didn't play last year, but I love the way he looks on tape, love his yeah. size. I could easily see him being the third most productive receiver, certainly the fourth most yeah. productive receiver on this team. I mean, that guy, I think he's got a ton of potential. And, you know, you mentioned the Calvin Johnson size. He's just got that different uh, different dynamic than the other guys on this on this roster in terms of wide receivers. We've got Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson as other potential guys we'll see out there on the field. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't play – I don't think I would play either one of them um, yeah. unless it was – some unique situation like maybe a showdown slate, but you know, Isabella, he had an 88 yard touchdown catch last year, but other than that, he only caught eight balls for 101 yards. Yeah. And Keyshawn Johnson, you know, he averaged five fantasy points a game. He, he had a little bit more volume. He had 21 catches for 187, but also only scored one touchdown. So, you know, based on those performances, I'd be I'd be optimistic that Hakeem Butler could pass both of those guys on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, Hakeem Butler is the only really big physical type receiver they have. Larry Fitzgerald's obviously good, too. But, you know, Hakeem Butler's different. They don't really throw the tight end that much. So it's not like he's, they're going to be red zone targets. So for red zone, Hakeem Butler's huge. Um, but, yeah, I like Andy Isabella as a deep sleeper. And uh, if, if you can get a matchup that you think is going to be a huge over-under, high-scoring game, back and forth, um, and, you know, Andy Isabella, if you can if you can project him to get a decent snap snap share percentage, um, you know, he, he I think he had to come on later. He, I think it took him a while to, to find his role in this offense. And he was playing a little bit more uh, in the second half of the year, even though he, he only put up just a couple of those decent games. So I think Andy Isabella is a guy that you have to monitor because he is that potential sleeper to have a big game in the right game environment. But, yeah, he's not necessarily a guy that's at the top of the list, but you do have to be aware of him. I mean, the guy was a complete stud at uh, UMass. I mean, his, if you look at his highlights, he was just uh, uh, you know, uh, just a touchdown machine and a big play threat. Uh, you know, he's got that elite speed, you know, so he's like, if you put, uh, you know, he's like a poor man's Christian McCaffrey at, at receiver, you know, that's what he reminds me of, you know, uh, the type of player. So. Well, that's not too bad. You know, anything yeah. where you're in the same category as McCaffrey, even if you're at a major discount, um, that's a, that's a nice comparison. Now yeah. you, you mentioned the tight ends and how they, you know, they really didn't utilize the tight end too much last year. And it was a story last year where you if they were talking tight ends and anything related to Arizona, it's not you that you wanted to play an Arizona tight end, is that yeah. you wanted to play tight ends against Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 
And so, so let's talk about this tight end group a little bit. They're losing Charles Clay. Last year, he caught 18 balls for 237 and one touchdown. He was on the field for 38% of the snaps. He's a free agent. Coming back, we've got Max Williams. He played 47% of the snaps, 26 years old. He caught 15 balls for 202 and one score. And then we've got Dan Arnold. He only played 6% of the snaps. They picked him up from the Saints late in the year. The Saints had waived him, uh, so Arizona grabbed him. He ended up catching six balls for 102 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, out of those three tight ends, that's only four touchdown catches. And, you know, with with Williams coming back as the leading receiver out of the tight end group with only 15 catches, uh, for whatever reason, they just – they just weren't effective. Uh, they were not valuable at all uh, in a in a DFS uh, perspective. So, any reason to think that that that'll change at all this year? Do Do you see yourself playing any of these guys? No, I mean the tight end position isn't isn't something that gets a lot of targets in this in this offense. It's not a big part of the scheme. I think Max Williams a little bit better uh, blocker. So he'll be in blocking a little bit more, trying to protect Kyler Murray, trying to get the running game going. So, and you know, he'll catch the occasional short pass. Uh, Dan Arnold, a little bit more of an undersized guy, a little bit better as a receiver. So I can see him having a couple flash games here and there uh, as a, as a receiving tight end, just because he's probably going to be wide open because look at the other receivers and running backs you have to cover out of the backfield um, is that's going to, that's going to create space for him in his offense, but it not anything consistent that you could really target in DFS. So it's probably, it, unless we see something different, it's not something that we'll, we'll be targeting uh, for the tight end position. Absolutely. So, so let's transition to the defense. Then um, we talked about, you know, targeting tight ends against Arizona. And that was part of the overall theme of targeting the passing game against Arizona. If you look at some of the numbers, they were 31st in passing yards given up last year, 31st in passing touchdowns. They gave up 38 touchdowns. Um, They allowed 27 points per game. So, um, you know, that's going to be a big big factor this year is can they improve that defense? They were terrible against the pass. Uh, That was a big theme last year was targeting – Arizona defense. And, you know, here's one of the problems with Arizona last year as they struggled to that 5-10-1 record. You mentioned the the fast pace on offense that they played with. But their defense, they couldn't get off the field. And what they ended up doing was they allowed their opponents to run an extra 80 plays over the course of a season. So that breaks out to five extra plays per game that the opposing offenses were getting we're, we're getting against Arizona. So one more reason to play DFS players against Arizona's defense because they're on the field more and they were so successful in that passing game. Yeah. I mean, that, that tells you right there, you want to target this defense again. They I'll talk about a few players they added to improve the defense, but I don't think it's going to improve that much. Um, they gave up the most yards and the entire league is 6,432 yards on defense. So, yeah, the, the fact that the offense was fast-paced, not very efficient, okay, and then the other opposing team is going against the defense and kind of owning them, uh, that was a perfect situation for fantasy players against Arizona. Um, that also tells me, okay, let's target Arizona's defense, but let's we could also look at game stacks because if we do feel like your Kenyon Drakes, your DeAndre Hopkins – 
are going to be stars in this offense and the offense is going to be more efficient. That leads to high scoring games. Uh, they are back and forth games. So that's going to be a good position for some game stacks as well um, to, to, to bring it back on, on both ways and uh, with, with their defense being bad. Um, so yeah, a couple bad defenses, couple and good offenses, fast pace. That's good success. That's a good recipe for, for DFS fantasy success. So that's something that we will look at when we're looking at these game scripts and over-unders and the pace of play and the matchups uh, in terms of their defense. I mean, obviously they added Isaiah Simmons, who's an elite athletic talent. Uh, you know, he was just an absolute tear in college. Um, you know, obviously a little undersized for the running back, or for the linebacker position. So I'm a little bit worried about him being able to get off blocks and, you know, kind of getting, getting washed away uh, in the NFL. But in terms of elite talent and the range and length he has in terms of being able to track people down. And I like him rushing, rushing the passer. I think he's going to be great. He's going to be in that kind of hybrid safety and uh, uh, linebacker role. And he's able to cover uh, these elite tight ends. Um, so right there's something that we talk about how the tight ends were, were killing them. Well, they can put Isaiah Simmons on those tight ends now and you talk about an athletic freak that can shut someone down. And, uh, so that's going to help them there. So maybe, uh, we'll have to look at that. Don't, don't necessarily go right to the tight end there. Other than that, you know, they've signed a few guys, but the defense is still not there. Patrick Peterson's not the same as he used to be. He's not the old Pat Pete, you know, just put him on an island and he'll shut down anyone. He wasn't as good last year. He's not getting any younger. So that's something you can target certainly wide receivers on there. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how they shake out, but it's again, another defense we can attack uh, and another, another team where we can uh, have some nice game stacks too. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Simmons and the ability to, to guard tight ends. I think that's a huge point. Um, and then, you, t- you talk about his general athleticism. You know, I think one of the reasons they're attracted to him is because he makes plays. Last year, he had eight sacks, three interceptions, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. And one of the problems with this defense is they only forced 17 turnovers last year. Okay, that was 25th in the league. So they're only getting one turnover one turnover per game. Um, and so to, to, to add a guy with that much sort of, you know, the, the nose for the ball type skills and, and big playmaking ability, you know, if he can give them more turnovers and defend tight ends, I mean, that is a sweet pick in the first round. Yeah, no, I, I think he's good. I think he's just obviously an athletic freak, complete playmaker. I'm just, again, I, a little more skeptical on how his game's going to translate to the NFL. I think he's good in space, but in the trenches, not quite sure about him being kind of a taller, lengthy, freak athlete type guy, about him being able to get off blocks, which tells me I can see offensive coordinators attacking them uh, by trying to run the ball against them. Um, and, and, and because they, if you can't attack them at the tight end position, if they're a little better in coverage, you know, I'm going to attack them in the running game. So that's one of the things we'll have to keep our eye on is targeting running backs against them as well. Excellent. Well, Shane, throughout the podcast today, we've touched on some of these draft picks. Um, Anything else we've missed there? You, you, you talked about the offensive lineman Jones. We've talked about Benjamin, the, the running back. Um, anything else we uh, we need to touch on from the draft before, we, before mean, we wrap up? When we're talking about fantasy, yeah, I'm mostly focused on in terms of the rookies that are going to contribute. Definitely focus on their third round pick, Josh Jones out of Houston. 
like I said, he's going to compete for that starting tackle position, right tackle position. Uh, he's an athletic freak. He's going to be great in this spread system because he's athletic to be able to get out in space and get to the second level on blocks. Again, that's going to help guys like Kenyon Drake. It's going to help him in the screen game. That's going to help him in the rushing game. And it provides depth for them because as soon as they lost an offensive lineman last year, they were scrambling, and that's how they became one of the worst offensive linemen. So he's a great swing tackle um, that you can have for a backup if one of your tackles gets injured. So adding more depth and talent there was a reason why they took the third round. Obviously, their first round, they took Isaiah Simmons, who's going to make a, uh, he's going to be awesome. He's going to make a good contribution. Their second round pick, hey, how about DeAndre Hopkins, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, that guy's pretty yeah. good. Hey, we'll take him, right? Right. Yeah. And then so the third round, that was a big priority. And I think for a third round tackle, this guy is awesome. And I think once he gets gets coached up, he's going to be really improve that offensive line and the depth there. Um, and then I talked about the running back because they didn't really take a lot of offensive players. Obviously, they need to build the defense. Um, is I love the uh, Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State, and I'm going to keep my eye on him because I think that at some point in the year, someone gets injured, he's going to be a guy that's going to be on the radar. And if you can be the first to uh, to take advantage of that before other people catch on to it, that's how you're going to be get, get a big advantage there. So that's what I'm looking for for that that seventh round. Well, I think was a steal in the seventh round. So Absolutely. I really like I like their draft. I mean, if you if you're really counting DeAndre Hopkins as their second round pick, right? And you got a starting offensive tackle and potentially uh, some defensive help and a good running back. I, I love their draft. I think it's pretty good. Absolutely. Well, you heard it here first. There, Benjamin, uh, yeah. out of the seventh round, a sleeper. Uh, that's where we're trying to bring you here on DFS Coach Talk. Is some um, valuable insight as we get ready for the uh, 2020 NFL season. Shane, where can folks find you on Twitter? So I'm at uh, D, uh, Detroit, which is D, just D-E-T Sports Shane. So just D-E-T Sports Shane. Excellent. And, uh, yep, yep. Hit me up on uh, Twitter anytime. And I'd be glad if anyone has any questions or needs any help uh, as we go through the, the process of evaluating these teams. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. You can find the whole group on Twitter at DFS Coach Talk. Again, our website is DFSCoachTalk.com. Coach, who leads the squad here, Joe Sorvati, his favorite charity is MambaOn3.org. We always like to mention that. It's at M-A-M-B-A-O-N-T-H-R-E-E.org. And that's set up by Kobe Bryant's widow uh, after the terrible uh, accident. Uh, earlier this winter so you can go check that out um we are in the midst of uh 32 consecutive nfl podcast uh, team breakdowns tomorrow i'll be on with santino breaking down the rams um but any final thoughts here shane before we wrap up when folks go to check you on twitter are they going to see any pictures of your mansion uh, well, I'll tell you that uh, my mansion is actually better than the coach that uh, you have uh, tomorrow, Sean McVay. Yeah, he's that's, another young gun. That's I think true. My mansion, his is nice, but I think mine is better. So uh, you I know, think you're I, right. And I have, you know, I got, you know, my favorite son, you know, Kyler Murray hanging out by the pool and probably go hang out with him and Drake and have a few cocktails and, and enjoy, uh, enjoy a nice warm day here in Arizona by the pool. You know, <laughs> it's true. You know, it almost looked like McVay tried to pattern his casa after Kingsbury and it just didn't quite just didn't quite match up not only with the the pool and all that 
but just the views of the mountains there with Kingsbury, oh. man, what what a setup. So. Oh yeah, beautiful view. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well that that'll do us that'll do it for us today. On behalf of Shane Caldwell, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you so much for joining us, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow for another episode of DFS Coach Talk.